listening to Female VC Lab, a podcast that showcases the journeys of female investors. My name is Barbara Bickham, and I am an award-winning CTO and VC that teaches companies and investors about emerging technology. I am sitting down with female VCs and investors to talk about their funds, how they invest, and how they make an impact. Welcome to the Female VC Lab podcast. I have Claude here. Claude, in one line, give me your name, your title, and the name of your fund. Claude Jokis, Vice President, Volition Capital. What inspired you to become a venture capitalist or investor, Claude? Sure. So I'll back up a little bit. I started my career actually at a startup that was based in New York City, and it was called L2. The context for L2, we were effectively a data-driven consulting firm that was focused on digital strategy, and it was looking to be disruptive to traditional consulting firms. So think big three, like Bade McKinsey, um, those types of folks, by taking more of a productized approach that was really leveraging data. A big part of my job at L2 was specifically to be crafting digital strategies for legacy consumer brands that were being increasingly disrupted by some of the more digitally native challenger brands. At the time, I was spending a lot of time in the beauty category, and there were some really fascinating brands that kind of felt like they came out of nowhere, and they were taking huge bites of market share out of some of these incumbents, in many cases, they were getting acquired for these really like eye-popping sums. My role at the time was to be obsessively monitoring the beauty landscape and really trying to understand specifically what are these challenger brands doing so effectively to drive growth and to be gaining market share with the goal of helping the CMOs of these larger, more established brands to basically either mimic some of those same tactics in a lot of Mm -hmm. cases with even bigger budgets behind them, or in other cases to be acquiring those challenger brands before they became too much of a threat. That was what my team was spending our time on. We even went so far at one point as to publish a product that we were calling the Indie Index. That was focused Mm -hmm. specifically on these independent or indie brands, trying to find kind of unique and creative and again, quantify data-driven ways to quantify these indie brands' tractions and to be highlighting some of the strategies that they were deploying that were particularly successful. So again, I was really supposed to be looking at this ecosystem through the lens of my clients and these management teams at the Estee Lauders and the L'Oreal's of the world, all these big conglomerates. But what I was finding increasingly as I was looking inside myself a little bit is that deeply understanding these independent brands was it was becoming a real passion of mine. Because we were focused so specifically on digital strategies at L2, I both wanted to understand the brands, but then I also wanted to understand how they were using internet platforms and and new e-commerce distribution channels and some of the dynamics of those platforms and and of those channels in order to grow. Mm -hmm. Another really interesting thing was happening at the same time when we published this Indie Index report that I referenced. It was intended for the, the benefit of the traditional clients that I mentioned, 
But for the first time in my life, I was starting to get this avalanche of outreach from, it was predominantly private equity. This was the first time I had ever spoken to the private investment community in any capacity. And in retrospect, these folks were obviously interested in using this indie index product that we had pioneered really as a sourcing tool and as a way to find strong companies and potential targets to be investing in. Again, my mind started to to churn a little bit and I was starting to become both interested in the disruptive brands themselves, but also who's funding their growth? Who are they partnering with? What does the Mm -hmm. consumer investing ecosystem around this space look like? So that was what I would say first sparked my interest in getting into VC. I went back to Harvard Business School with the goal of pursuing an MBA as part of that interest. And Mm -hmm. I was fortunate during that time to have the opportunity to do some internships at really amazing venture firms. And I would say I was predominantly looking to use the time to explore the stage that I was interested in. Yeah, got the opportunity again during this MBA time to really be exploring more of the earlier stage ecosystem. So I was able to go to some really incredible seed and pre-seed funds. And in some respects, that stage was really exciting to me and what I thought I always wanted to do. But at the same time, I was actually realizing it kind of was pretty foreign to me. And what I mean by that is the world that I had come from at L2 and what I described earlier, we were really trying to harness the power of data to do this disruptive thing against traditional consulting and create this always-on data-driven consulting product. And what I was finding is I felt really out of water trying to evaluate and build investing conviction behind some of these really early stage companies where data availability, if there's any data at all, it's always inherently going to be Very a little hard. more limited. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And in some cases, the company like might not have even launched into market yet. And I was starting to develop this appreciation that in more traditional venture investing, it's always going to be a little bit more binary. You might be making a, a big bet on a company that's it's going to be like a zero or a one. And the decisions that you're making, they're going to have less to do with performance and more to do with potential. And candidly, I found that very uncomfortable. And I have enormous respect for people with that more venture-oriented skill set that have the ability to be evaluating potential in these very early stages. But that was around the time that I started learning more about the growth equity industry and growth stage investing. And as with growth, the focus is more about finding proven companies that are already very much working from a product market fit perspective and really offering them both capital and partnership to help them accelerate that growth and and go even further, even faster. And that felt a little more authentic to me in terms of why I got interested in investing in the first place. It was examining these high growth beauty brands, understanding why they were accelerating, having tons of data and performance indicators and quantifying them and indexing, indexing them um, as a way to dig in and, and evaluate a business. So as I started to explore post-MBA investing roles, I was optimizing for a few things. Obviously, I came from this consumer background, but I wanted a firm that thought of consumer not just in the consumer product context, but also in the internet platform context. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I, I was increasingly attracted to growth, and I was lucky enough to meet the team at Volition Capital um, during my second year of MBA. And Volition had had a ton of success in the e-commerce world. Uh, notably, they were the first investors in Chewy.com. And I was actually fortunate enough to join the firm at a time when they were just starting to formally solidify what's now our internet consumer practice, um, which is separate from the firm's historic roots in more enterprise SaaS. So in some respects, it was also like joining a high growth startup within an established firm. And given my background from startup world, that was really attractive to me as well. 
so yeah, long, long, long story short, that was how I ended up in the industry and what attracted me and, and what my path has looked like thus far. That's awesome. So you talked a little bit about Volution's thesis. So can you describe a little bit more about the thesis and the, the impetus behind the thesis? Yeah, absolutely. A couple of thoughts there. One overarching theme that we share across Volition as a broader firm is the notion that we look to invest in really capital efficient businesses. That's because we believe that capital efficiency, in many respects, I think is the ultimate signifier of a business that has a fundamentally sustainable business model. Um, For us, in some cases, that might mean the firm has raised like a pretty modest amount of capital in the past, and they've just chosen to grow in a disciplined way. In other cases, we've invested in businesses that have been literally bootstrapped, never raised a nickel. And when you talk about impetus around a thesis, for me, that's really an aspect of our firm-wide investment thesis that resonates in a pretty deep personal way. Because going back to the beginning of my career and and my time at L2, which was a startup, a a pretty unique thing that I had the opportunity to live through is that we were actually a fully bootstrapped, but very high growth business during my first two or three years there. We hadn't raised any outside capital at that point in time. I love that story because I think being bootstrapped is so glamorized in the investment community. Everyone wants to be finding and investing in these kind of under the radar bootstrap businesses, but it's a very different thing. I can tell you actually. Like, it's a very hard road. But it's a hard road. It's, it's actually a more balanced road because you've, as a bootstrap company, you've figured out a few things versus just taking the venture money. One, you've created an ecosystem, a revenue generator. You've already figured out your business and revenue models. You've got a a fully realized sales cycle. So you understand how long things take. If you're some kind of SaaS business or something that the churn, the value of your customers, there's just so many things that you know as a bootstrap business that you don't know if you haven't gotten your a certain clip of customers consistently. And that's powerful. That's powerful as a founder because you figured out and in your market as well, you may be in a competitive market as like you said, L2, they were in a competitive market. So they've clearly figured something out and they've carved off their niche as well. That's very attractive to an investor as that kind of founder because it's like, wow, you figured a lot of stuff out and that's powerful. I love that. I totally agree. It's like you're being forced to confront your realities of the market and of your business every day as a bootstrap founder. My first exposure to that was as the employee of a bootstrap founder. I very quickly internalized, this is what scrappiness looks like. This is what it actually looks yeah, like to fund your own growth. <laughs> Even just like the practicalities of it. I, mean, I remember at one point there was like the office had grown to 40 or 50 people, but we didn't move offices because we had to great lease at great terms. Mm-hmm. And again, it was all scrappiness. We're totally overcrowding. We're sharing like one gross bathroom within the entire office. You're really prioritizing resources and, and it's forcing creativity. But I think there's also like an emotional toll to it. But going back yes, to your there point, can be. yeah, I think it's a valuable experience to have firsthand, especially given that mm-hmm. it is so core to Volition's approach. And I think I have just this deeper level of empathy to your point, like just a certain level of reverence for what these bootstrapped entrepreneurs accomplish every day and just the cultural buy-in that's required to grow and motivate that high-performing team through those really lean years. I love that aspect of our thesis and and I love that I had that firsthand appreciation for it. 
That's wonderful. So what are you currently learning or listening to or reading these days? So my team has been spending a lot of time lately looking at opportunities related to what I will call the globalizing workforce, which I think is just it's a huge secular trend that I have every confidence that we're going to continue to see playing out, whether it's folks that are choosing to embrace remote lifestyles and this post-pandemic work from anywhere mentality type of role or just more traditional companies that are finding pockets of high-quality talent in, in new parts of the world. I think there's just so many reasons to believe that the modern workforce is going to be this increasingly nebulous, borderless thing. Volition, we've backed a company in the space already this year, actually. It's called Hackajob. It's a UK-based business. Effectively, it's a global talent marketplace for technical talent. But what I've come to appreciate through many conversations with talented founders building in this area is there are so many complexities that come along with this globalized workforce. It could be the There's a lot. cultural uh, language can be one. Mm-hmm. Pay scales are different. Yep. Talent bases are different. Education levels are different. It's many different parts to it. Couldn't agree more. I'll just build on that. I think there's the legal side. How do you that is make people in a new country my <laughs> way? Yeah, that's true. You have those other practical things like that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the software stuff is even more important and has an even less obvious set of solutions. Yeah. How do they fit into your culture? How do they can like, how do you plug them? How do you really onboard them and make them feel a part of your company? That's Absolutely. hard. You mentioned pay scales. I think even just mm-hmm. the physical movement of money cross-border in terms of executing on global payroll, it's super complex. And it's complex for the employer, but it's also complex for the individual. They want to make sure that they're compliant, that they're paying taxes to the right people to right. get social benefits in their local market. We're seeing a lot of exciting opportunities in this domain. To your question, I've been really focused on learning more about the intricacies of that landscape. From a regulatory compliance technical perspective. Mm-hmm. And again, it's actually, it's an area that's quite personal for me. I've been on like a, I'll call it a mini immigration journey myself. I was born in Abu Dhabi. I was raised in Toronto, oh, Canada. That's <laughs> a great, such a great place. <laughs> uh, um, now based in Boston. So I have a lot of appreciation for anyone who's making the process of banking, employment, visa status, compliance, all of that even just a little bit easier for those of us who are globally relocating or or working cross-border, just as someone who's gone through that process myself and and has an appreciation for how arduous it can be. Yes. Abu Dhabi, great place. I went there (laughs) last year. Did you? I did. I went. So it was a very wonderful place. Dubai as well or just Abu Dhabi? I just was in Abu Dhabi. I didn't I flew through to Dubai and then I went to Abu Dhabi and then came didn't get to stay in Dubai too much, but next time. Yeah, that's great. This is the bonus question. Everyone knows it now. In two years, when we're talking again, but we'll be talking before then, how do you see venture capital and investing having changed or evolved? Mm -hmm. I think and, and hope that there is going to be this new crop of younger investors like myself who have been told for kind of the last 10 to 15 years early part of their career that we've really never lived through a downturn or a market correction or, <laughs> or more of a bust cycle. And I totally agree well, with that. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, Welcome we to go. the bust cycle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think there's like a 
certain amount of skepticism about the lens that we've personally formed as investors, having never lived through some of those tougher times and leaner years. And I think that skepticism, it's somewhat rightly placed. And I think potentially two years from now, all of us younger folks in this next generation are going to be coming back to the table with some scar tissue. And I think that's great and healthy. I think it's going to refine our lens. I think it's going to make us more disciplined investors. Um, I think it's going to allow us to be a better partner to our portfolio companies to be encouraging the management teams that we're working with to not only be thinking optimistically about what could happen in the future from an upside perspective, but also to always have self-sustainability of the company in the back of your mind and Mm -hmm. thinking through scenario planning. What happens if capital evaporates? What happens? Or if banks fail? I was just about to say. Just going to throw that Um, out there. Totally. (laughs) It's like a painful... Other things crash. Mm -hmm. More wars. Right. There's all these massive geopolitical things going on, macro level. So you have to be paying attention, specifically based on what we were discussing earlier from that workforce play, that place. And people are now migrating around and people are being displaced. Absolutely. Such a valid point. I know it's almost feels a little frivolous to be talking about some of the lighter challenges that we've maybe faced here in the U.S. when they're on a global political scale. There are even I more mean, there's a, lot going, a lot going on. Absolutely. You gotta always be paying attention to that as a VC. Totally. Really. I hope we all in two years are, are being We're able to proudly here. say we've lived through <laughs> 2024 <laughs> and three and 20, the 2020s in general. We sure. all made it through. <laughs> Still here, hopefully with some healthy scar tissue that, that makes us better investors. Wonderful. So how do people contact you? Ah, I, I guess easiest way, email C-L-A-U-D-E at volitioncapital.com. Thank you, Claude DeJakas from Volition Capital for being my guest on the Female VC Lab podcast. Thank you so much, Barbara. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to meet you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Trail and Ventures. Find and invest in the next billion dollar emerging tech company. Sign up for our exclusive content at https colon slash slash trailin T-R-A-I-L-Y-N dot com to find out more. Find us on Apple, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening. <laughs>